Hey everybody, welcome back to Stuff Said, or if this is your first time listening, welcome to Stuff Said with Greg Schiegel. I am Greg Schiegel. This is a show where I, a working cartoonist, talk to other people in the business or in the field of cartooning, comic books, stuff of that ilk. Today's show is part two of my conversation with Brian Smith, a.k.a. Smitty. To those who know him. Last time, just to bring you up to speed if you haven't heard last one, although very easy, go back, just listen to it, it's available. Brian and I talked about our time at Marvel Comics. We were interns together, we became assistant editors, he went on to become an associate editor after I had already left, and then round about 2002, Smitty left his position in Marvel Editorial to go work at Nickelodeon briefly and after that he went on to a freelance career as a cartoonist, illustrator, etc. And that's where we're going to pick up him talking about well, why should I tell you what we talk about? Let's just hear it. Except hang on, at the end of the show stick around because there is there is a, a semi real-time update to the career of Brian Smitty Smith. So that tease out of the way, that little uh, stick around after the show, uh, after the interview, rather, the show, when the show ends, uh, the show's over. But after the interview portion, when I start talking again, I'm going to have news or information. So that said, here's part two of me talking to Brian Smitty Smith. What got you to the point where you were like, I can't, I got to get out? I, honestly, I, I just think it was time. You've been there a long time. From, I mean, from my internship to like, you know, and I, I worked as a, as, a, as a painter for a little bit. And then I was in the office again. It was just, it was like really the only job I'd ever had, like outside of like when I graduated college, you know, it's like right. I interned there and like, that's where I wanted to be. And uh, I got the gig and it was awesome for, for, you know, a couple of years. But I, I think like anything else, once you know, I was gone, it wasn't as good. Exactly. Once you left, it was, it was just, what am, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. The world is dark. <laughs> no, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a shame, but uh, you know, for, for some people, I guess the shine just wears off after a while. It's like you, it's just, it's a real grind. Your work, it's a ton of work, you know, and you're always on. It's always, there's always something to be done. You're taking stuff home with you. You know, it's, it's monthly comic publishing is no joke. It's, it's a ton of work. Maybe to you. Yeah. <laughs> I was laughing the whole time. <laughs> That's the difference between working with Tom Brevoort and working with anybody else. Yeah. At least in the late 90s. No, dude. That Ra- dude was... Ra- Ralph really was the only thing keeping me sane, like, towards the end there. It was just like, you know, he's, he's the best boss I ever had. To this day, he was the best boss I ever had. You know, it's just, we, we, we had a good time working together, but the work would get in the way. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, you, 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 got to a, you get to a point, at least I did anyway, where it's like, okay, I'm putting in this many hours. I don't know where this is going. And I don't even know if I want to do the next step anymore. Like, I don't know if I want to continue on this path I'm on. Like, I, I think I need to do a little course correcting. Yeah. I went to school for illustration. There are stories that I do want to tell. I don't know if I want to tell stories with these characters or if yeah. I'm ever going to get the chance to do that really, you know? So it was just, it was time, you know, it was like, like, like anything. You know, I'd been there yeah. for like six years and it was just time to, to move on and try something new. I, I, Completely. When I left, it was because I wanted to draw more. And I, I, rem- I remember people thought I was crazy because I wanted to leave. You know, just because I think it's still one of those jobs where people, like, you know, there's so many people out there that would love to have that job. And, you know, they do, like, you, I think they do kind of leverage that, you yeah. know, with, like, the pay scale and whatever else. Like, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, you're, you have a job that a lot of people would love to have. So, like, that's a, that's a perk in and yes. of itself. If they, they, they pr- it's the passion for it that keeps you... Yes. In. But I, I remember the day I started, every everybody I was friends with, all the assistant editors, it was a big mistake. You know, everybody was like, like I, I just signed like a, a, my death warrant. Dan Hosek told me point blank. He was one of the people that told me point blank. Because he was miserable. Yeah. He's like, do not take this job. Yeah. You'll never draw. You'll never draw comics. Yeah. And I made a deal with him. Like, okay, if in six months, I think it was six months, I haven't drawn a comic, 
you you know you win whatever but you have to stay for six months <laughs> yeah. and he left before that six months and i drew a comic before that six months what's interesting is when you said about when you left everybody said you're crazy yeah i remember when i left and- no not people in the building Oh, like, people, like people, people in my, my, my realm of friends or family okay. or whatever. Like, oh, wow. Like, they think you show up and, like, you're arm wrestling Spider-Man all day or something. You know, like, that's your job. Like, it's, <laughs> you're not actually doing anything. What was the reaction of the people in the... I know we had a similar reaction in that nobody said, oh, please stay. No, no, no. There was no, no counteroffer. I know when I left, everybody said, oh, of course, it makes perfect sense. Good luck. Yeah. You're making the right move. I wish I could leave. No, and that was the sentiment too. I mean, like you know, when when I uh, I remember uh, I went to go work at Nickelodeon uh, as their character art manager. Yes, which was a was a great opportunity. You know, you're welcome. Which great. This is another example of me just follow. Greg gets a gig somewhere, and I I just follow Greg to the the next level. I tried so hard to get so many people jobs at Nickelodeon. Yeah, you're the only one that I was able to get a job there. And again, like it was. You know, at that point, like, I went to school for illustration. And, like, you know, I, I had no ideas or dreams of being, like, a like kind of a desk jockey. You know, right. and like, answering phones and, and processing things and, and budgets and schedules and all that stuff. And my right. brain is not necessarily wired that way. But, uh, you know, it's like you, you kind of figure it out as you go along. So I got the, the editorial gig, you know, and I was an assistant editor and associate editor. And then, you know, I went to go do something kind of even more project manager over at Nickelodeon. So it was kind of like, I wasn't even sure if the, the stuff I had learned how to do in editorial was going to apply there, but it, that worked out okay too. Yeah. I'm quick on my feet. You are quick on your feet. <laughs> and then that lasted as long as it lasted. And then you yeah. made the real, like legitimate break. Yes. To freelance illustration, cartooning, and being a creative person. Yes. So you finally make the big break. Yes. And I'm going to hit some touchstones. Because at this point, this is when we really were talking on the regular. Because I was freelance. We were both working from home. Yep. And it was just, there's no one else around. You talk to who you can talk to. Well, even when I worked at Nickelodeon, I called you every day because you were drawing all the SpongeBob stuff. Yeah, I was working with you. Yeah. But at this point, we no longer had any actual, like, yes. outside of the fact that we were both freelancers mm-hmm. and just an exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first touchstone that was really like a springboard in a lot of ways is wishful stinking. Yes. Wishful Stinking was the first, at this point, the, the only self-published thing you've done. Yes. And it was like so many Smitty ideas born out of an awesome name. <laughs> well, thank you. Come up with the best titles for stuff. I mean, I'd say rattle off a bunch of them, but I don't want you to like let them out into the world <laughs> where somebody else can take them. Right. But the titles are super memorable. Wishful Stinking is one of them. Yes. Give me like the two. We were at, we were Comic Con one year, and you were selling it, and you had the, it was the easiest sell in the world. Yes. What is it? It's the story of a kid who accidentally swallows a genie, and every time he farts, the genie comes out of his butt. Yes. So the genie's trapped inside the kid, and they hate each other. Like they're, they're it's like a it's like a like a bad buddy. It's so movie. good. And well, it's a great comic book. Oh, thank you, thank you. I, it was, that was the first thing I did when uh, I left Nickelodeon, and I finally had the time to devote to you know, okay, I have all these hours in the day that I, I can do what I want. Um, really, I, I think I just did it just so I didn't go crazy, like you know, or, or die of scaredness. <laughs> but then also, it wasn't your dad like, "Go for it, yeah. I'll help you out." Yeah, let's get this thing going. Yeah. Sarah lettered it. Sarah, your wife. Yes. Better and there's a beautiful design work on it. Yep, yep. And that one project essentially got you work for a year or two. Yeah, yeah, it led to some good stuff. I mean, I went out there that year and I, I became set, Hollywood Smitty. I know well, I'm, I'm definitely not Hollywood Smitty, but you know, I I, uh, I made that comic and handed out more than I sold, and I still I think I still have a box of them somewhere, like you know, for the for the uh, the archives. If anyone wants one, they can email yes the show, and I'll be happy to send you one. Well, they could buy it. Or you could buy it. Yeah, PayPal or something. I take it back. It's a great comic book. Yeah. All right. I'll put a link. <laughs> I, I got it printed in time for San Diego, and I actually went out and joined you and yeah. Jacob and Chris G. Russo, Jacob Chabot, at, uh, at an artist alley and uh, handed out a bunch, sold a couple. But one of the people that picked up the book was uh, a dude who worked at American Greetings. 
And he he you know, laughed. He thought it was a funny comic and uh, asked me if I had any other ideas. And I pitched them some ideas. Like There was like this group within American Greetings uh, that actually was developing new material. Uh, American Greetings, they own like the Care Bears and yeah. uh, Strawberry Shortcake. And they own like some more obscure 80s stuff that hasn't seen the light of day in a while. I think the uh, Get Along Gang. Sure. You know. But uh, they were looking to do some boys stuff. Uh, and they, they didn't really have a lot of boys properties. So I actually got a meeting with them. They flew me out to uh, Cleveland and uh, pitched some stuff on the spot. And they ended up optioning like two ideas uh, that I had worked on, me and my uh, co-writer on Stuff a Legend, Mike Rage. And one of those is Next Door Ninja. Next Door Ninja. Another great title. And uh, a book called tree mail about a right. frog who wants to deliver the mail, which is predominantly a job done by birds. Right. And so. then that put you in touch sort of, even though you'd already been in touch with Ann Austin, right? Yes. Yeah. Ann Austin, who uh, was producing animation. She was, uh, she worked on the power Rangers for many years, like, right. you know, in the, in the, their initial kind of big wave of success here. Um, and then she uh, ended up working for a company called cookie jar. Yeah, who does a lot of animated stuff for television, and uh, yeah, you know, through through just uh, knowing Chuck, like you know, and, uh, again, just pitching goofball ideas or talking with Chuck and you know, having like you know weirdo thoughts. And Mike Rage actually kept in touch with Chuck and Ann uh, too after mm-hmm. we had both left Marvel. So yeah, it, little by little, it's like we got we got some some decent work, you know, working for American Greetings. And again, it's there's like a big period of my kind of. Uh, I guess professional life post Nickelodeon, where I've done a lot of work for a lot of people that will never ever be seen by anyone uh, in any capacity, whether it's you know stuff on pitches or you know um, being you know hired to to do stuff for somebody else's pitch, or uh, you know writing something for somebody that will never get made, or you know doing even like advertising work, like doing stuff for uh, you know presentation boards and meetings, you know so. There's, a, there's like there's a whole other world of being a freelance writer and artist outside of comics where you know people don't see your name on a book every month, but somehow you're working and you know staying busy. Oh yeah, that's been my life for the past. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. You know. But twelve years. <laughs> because I think you you look at like the 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 output of like my kind of creator owned or my own idea work. There's wishful thinking, and then there's like a long period of you know, like two or three there's years. Yeah. Sure. Of, nothing but i was working that whole time you know it's just you know not uh, just not on comic books that people can actually read yeah i mean there are people you hear stories at least i don't know any of them but you have screenwriters who mm-hmm. sell a screenplay that never gets made and they just earn a living selling screenplays that never get made yeah i mean it happens yeah the next touchstone after wishful thinking yeah, yeah. the next thing that i'm thinking of that i think has meat on them bones mm-hmm. is the basics yes which, for anybody that doesn't know it, The Basics is one of the great comic strips of all time. Oh, come on. That's a bold claim. That is too bold, but it's accurate. But sort of the, the, the genesis of The Basics yes. is, is a, I mean, again, I was sort of part of that. Yeah. I wanted, we wanted to get strips in at Nickelodeon Magazine. Yes. That was like the, the genesis of The Basics was like the, to pitch Nick Magazine and to come up with something. Well, I had pitched Safari Junior High School. Yes. And it didn't, it didn't fly. Right. Because the explanation I was given was there weren't enough, it wasn't enough of a gag strip or something. There weren't enough jokes on the page. Right. Uh, it was too, too story. I think it was too story. Too sitcom. Yeah. 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 That was the note you got back. It was so too- we talked. Yeah. And, and you came up with the basics. Yes. It's sort of like a response. Yeah. Well, if this, you know, if they've already said to you, like we don't want this because it's too story driven, it's too character driven, or it's too you know too whatever, too uh, you know sitcommy for lack yeah. of a better word. I'm going to generate something that is the complete opposite of all of that. I'm going to I'm going to like come up with gags that are like non gags within <laughs> within gags, you know, and like leave people kind of scratching their head but smiling, you know, yeah. like that kind of that's the 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 genesis of the basic. And uh, I drew two of them. And sent them in, and you know the the responses were great. You know, it was, it was Chris Duffy and Dave Roman at, uh, at Nickelodeon magazine, and it just—I mean, it, they're they're definitely like 
They're it's, absurd. They're absurd. And like maybe possibly a little obtuse. Like, you know, it's like they're definitely a little. They're not for everyone. Yes. But I think they are. That's the weird thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, even if you're laughing at it, like, why am I laughing? <laughs> you know, like, this is ridiculous. So I, why should this even elicit a response? But it does. But you laugh. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but they didn't get picked up by Nick magazine. And you had you quoted them on your website. Yeah. Yeah. Not not an actual gag. And I don't get it. <laughs> From from the the letter, and again, it was like it's. You know, I've actually talked with Duffy about that since then, and it was it was definitely me. It was self deprecating. It wasn't like you know, I was trying to call out anybody on like not getting the humor of the the strip because really there is. It's an odd thing to create something where like you know your. Response is up to you. It's not like I'm not leading you one way or the other. It's uh, it's it definitely is like an interactive experience. You're going to get out of this what you put into it. Maybe, but the the jokes are it's it's all a lot of sight gags. Yeah, I mean it's all sight gags. Nobody's talking. No, but the the joke is typically in a basic strip because as much as you can you can sort of say it's like a non joke. Yes, each of the characters serves a function. Yes, and it really is something. It I I'll tell you now in the same way that and this is you're going to think this is too high praise, but in the same way that some people can look at a crazy cat comic and extrapolate yeah a lot of depth and meaning into a mouse throwing a rock at a cat <laughs> i think you could do the same thing with the basics on some level even though that might not have been your intention there's enough structure to the looniness of it yeah like you weren't just doing opium and making comic strips no <laughs> no it's not like you they're constructed there's, there's a pacing there i mean there is a they are basic in the sense that like there's a they are basic shapes yes and they are also like a kind of a basic emotion that is represented by the three. The, 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 the triangle or pyramid character is kind of a downer. Like, you know, he's just, he's very, you know, everything is upsetting to him. Yeah. You know, the circle is the exact opposite of the triangle, where the circle is very happy and just content with life. And like, yeah. you know, it's like everything is perfect for him all the time until the triangle ruins it for him. And then the square is like, the, the random factor where is not here or there. The square is everything <laughs> square that is awesome. fits, everything that fits in between the, the circle and the triangle. The and square the, is great. Yeah. People love the square, you know, the cube or whatever. Well, because the square is, you know, how you, the square is, is the inciting incident. Yes. Like he, that's where the conflict, the, the real sort of conflict and resolution comes from the square. Yeah. We're talking about, this is how we're talking about. I mean, <laughs> it, it's such a great comic. It really is. Oh, you know, the, the, when I first started it, the goal was to do it a week, do a weekly comic. After, yeah. like, you know, I, I actually came up with these little things. And it's not, it's not a taxing thing to execute, like, the basics, especially the way I have it structured, where there's a lot of, like, kind of repeat panels and, like, repeat kind of, like, beats. But coming up with those gags is, is the challenge, like, or the non-gags, or coming up with the, the jokes that aren't really jokes, you yeah. know, that, but somehow are jokes. Um, that was the challenge. So I did it weekly for about 20 weeks. And then, I, you know, every once in a while, I, I did one for Chris for his G-Man book. And they actually appear as backups in, in uh, the new Scapegoat comic. Uh, there's going to be, like, six, new, six strips. Yeah. Which, again, are going to be new to anybody. Yeah, who hasn't been to your website. Well, and, you know. I think that's you and me and, you know, <laughs> anybody we've told. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, like, who's a big, huge supporter of the basics was uh, Jen Grunwald. Yes. Over at Marvel. She, she was a, a big fan of the basics. And I was very appreciative. Of that. They're, they're, they really are excellent. Well, thank you. And, and I bring it up a, to illustrate just the generation of how something comes to be. Yeah. And then I guess to illustrate how even a great idea that is com- like wholly original Mm-hmm. That's what it, it's that. Like yeah. it didn't get anything, right? Right? Like nothing. Whereas wishful thinking brought upon work and and a, sort of an invitation. Yeah. The basics. Sort Wish, of, wishful thinking got me. Like nobody. I don't think anybody out there is willing to take a chance on that story. I think that like people look at that and go, "That is a really funny concept." What else do you have? Yes. Because we we don't want to touch this because this is a kid who farts a genie. So yes. like you know you're good luck with that. You're on your own. But we're we're interested to see what else is in your head. So, yeah. like, you know, what else do you have that you might be able to pitch? The basics, I, I never really pitched around in that capacity. The basics really was, like, 
again, like much like wishful thinking was, I have these hours in the day and I have these thoughts in my head and I need to get them out. The basics, you know, a pure creative expression. Well, you know, born out of, Hey, I'd like to get these published in Nick magazine. <laughs> well, it was born out of that yeah. and born out of like, well, if you don't like, if you don't like this. Yeah. What about like almost like a dare? Like yeah. A, you know, it definitely, it definitely was in response to like, and one of, one of the really rare times where I've actually tried to like nail something. I've tried to like go out of my way to come up with something that I thought was going to be right. the, like the, the square peg in the, in the, in the square hole. You yeah. Know? Like I really wanted to fit that in and, I thought it, I thought it would. I really I, did. I could have sworn it would. But, Based on the stuff that's in that was in Nick magazine. Yeah. It seemed like it was the squarish peg for the squarest hole <laughs> I'd ever seen. Yeah. I was stunned. Like when they didn't go for my strip as much as I disagree. Uh-huh. Aesthetically, okay, it was in a different spirit than what's right. in Nick magazine. Your thing would have been such I mean just like I I I do want to do more basics and you know Especially after doing something more long form like the escape goat, going back to something like that, I think would be a lot of fun. Just to kind of like you know how it cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> the next touchstone. We're not going to get to the escape goat yet, right? If I'm not mistaken. The next thing is probably stuff of legend, right? There was a couple of smaller things that I'd done. I did Rockenstein, which was like a, a short story, a backup, and really like it's the the next I guess chapter is the the chapter of. Rockenstein was eight pages. Like, was... Like, yeah, so is the next chapter I think is is the third world, like getting getting involved with them, right? And like you know, I did Pickles from Pluto for them as a backup strip in their Space Doubles comic, right? And then I did um, Rockenstein in their Creature Feature book. Again, uh, the whole time I'm doing after leaving Nickelodeon, um, I'm still talking with Mike Rach, who was uh, another Marvel editor who left right around the same time I left. And Mike and I were. Uh, like we worked together. He was my intern at one point, like uh, during the when Bobby was gone. Yeah, I remember. And uh, he was just—he really knew his stuff. He was like a, a good egg. You knew that right away. Like he was gonna fit in up there. He was the kind of person who gets an internship and then gets a gig, and he did. He worked in the X Men office. But we, you know, we had very similar ideas. I think in that we had ideas. Like we wanted to do things outside of uh, Marvel. Like you know, we had uh, stories in our heads that didn't necessarily. <clears throat> fit the Marvel mold or uh, or need their characters. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we just wanted to do things. And uh, we pitched a lot of uh, things back and forth. Like, you know, Mike and I, again, like we did some stuff for American Greetings. And uh, it always would be like, I have an idea for something or he has an idea for something. Hey, do you think this has legs? Hey, do you think, like, what about this? And then, you know, it's a lot of bouncing stuff back and forth. Mike came up with um, a story involving a boy who gets kidnapped by the boogeyman. And his teddy bears go and rescue him. So it's, it's a stuff legend. And we started working on that together. And we originally pitched it to, I think we pitched it to like, a, like an agent who uh, was kind of representing me at the time um, mm-hmm. out in California. And they didn't want to go for it because it was like, you know, toys, talking toys, there's toy stories, all the other things. I'm like, you know, it's, I think on paper in a pitch, it's not as distinct and clean and clear as it is like when you actually see the comic book. You know, and I don't know why that is, but, you know, even though you go to great pains to, to make this thing as unique as possible, and we did, I don't think people really started getting it until they saw the artwork. They actually saw the first issue. Yeah. Well, anyway, we pitched the Vertigo. We talked to them for a little bit about it. And then we're, little by little, we're doing this work with Third World. And uh, Mike DeVito, who's the publisher at Third World, he knows Charles Paul Wilson uh, the third. So it was kind of like just a perfect storm of, people who want to do something different who all are getting lined up at the same time. You might have the story. Charles is, is this artist who has this very unique look about his stuff, very kind of like storybooky and classic in his illustration style. And Mike DeVito is a small publisher who is looking to put a book out. So it was kind of like everything, everything just came together. And yeah, stuff, a legend. Uh, we were lucky enough to, to get all those pieces lined up and it's, uh, it's been a great ride so far. New York times bestseller. We were. We hit the New York Times bestseller list. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for, a, you know, you people talk about the New York Times bestseller list and Walking Dead is on there. Yes. Ultimate Spider-Man. Your print run was small. Yeah. Well, that, it's a weird. We had, we had an arrangement with 
uh, Random House with their graphic novel imprint Villard to do the Stuff of Legend collection, the first book of the of the series. But when we first put like the the first free comic book day, you know, teaser for Stuff of Legend, and then the first issue, we sold like I don't even know, but it it, it wasn't a lot of copies. You know, it wasn't there wasn't a lot of copies of this floating around, and I think. You know, we went to a second printing, and all of a sudden, you know, people start like, "Hey, what is this book?" And it became this thing where there was enough buzz about it just from people who had seen it, and then people wanted to see what it was. And it really did. It really is. And to this day, I think it is still born out of like just a real kind of grassroots word of mouth, specific retailers hand selling this book to people. Yeah. And and we built an audience that way because you know we literally I mean, it's, a, it's an independent comic book. It's like you know. A, you know, it's it's out there in the world on, on a comic shelf next to Spider Man and, and Batman and whatever else. So yeah, you know, how do you stand out from all that stuff? And little by little, we we've been finding a way to do it. So, and then from that, yes. not from that, it's not like uh, it's not like good times spinning out of all in the family. Yeah, or Maud. It's whichever one good times came out of the Adams family. I think it was the Adams yeah, family. Yeah, probably the Adams family. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Florida and uh, Lurch went to the same finishing school. <laughs> what I want to talk about is another awesome Smitty title, mm. The Escape Goat. Yes. When you first conceived it, it was just The Escape Goat. Yes. It is now The Intrepid Escape Goat. Yes. Doing it with Third World. But this thing you're doing, you're back to your your roots mm-hmm. as, a, as a pure, like, singular cartoonist. You're writing, you're drawing... You're inking. Yes. The only thing you're not doing is lettering, which your wife is doing. Yeah. And coloring it. Uh-huh. There's two things we could talk about. One is the escape goat, mm-hmm. which as of this recording has not come out yet, but will soon take the world by storm. As of, Well, I am getting on a bus at seven o'clock in the morning to go to the Baltimore Comic-Con tomorrow. And it is the first time I'm going to see the printed book. And we are going to have the book there at the table. So I'm very, I'm very excited about that. But I want to, what I, what I, as much as I think it's worth talking about the scapegoat mm-hmm. and sort of the process there, because it's interesting what you're doing in terms of putting this book together artistically. Let's actually, let's talk about that. And then I'll jump to the other thing I want to talk about. Okay. In the process of putting together scapegoat, I mean, I remember when you first conceived of it, you were designing the character. It feels like your approach to a scapegoat is a little different than wishful stinking, which sort of was like, you just you went at it like you 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 knew what you were gonna do and you started working on this thing mm-hmm. and you completed a what was it sixty pages? No, it wasn't it was like thirty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right. With this thing, like I feel like you're putting a lot more prep work. Yes. Into it, from character designs to, I mean, you're building, you're building backgrounds like you're building full environments. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a lot of advanced work like you know sketchup photo reference whatever like i'm I'm doing a lot more stuff to try and build a world that is in my head like trying to get that out and try to as as close to the idea of what i want on the page is that unique to this idea or is that a thing that you think is just sort of a, uh, an evolution of your creative approach um i don't know i mean I, th- I think part of it is a desire to stay current with what tools are available to an artist working in comics, you know, and, and SketchUp is a, is a great tool, you know, as far as if you, if you have to draw something complicated multiple times from multiple angles, you know, it's like, yeah, you could figure that out and, you know, uh, do the perspective grids and all that stuff. But, you know, I built the, like the train in the first issue, the, the obsidian engine, the train that is going to be there kind of, transportation for the entire series every time i draw a scapegoat i built that as a 3d model you know to uh to have like a not just a reference like you know but like a a tool i can use like you know moving forward like in the book because i know i want to be doing this book for a while so yeah i I think it's the idea for the visuals on a scapegoat like what i would like to accomplish with this is like i had a very specific idea that i wanted it to look like stills from an animated film where the backgrounds are very detailed, a lot of rendering, a lot of cross-hatching, a lot of like just really um, interesting line work. And the characters themselves would be very kind of smooth-lined, very um, clean. 
against these back backgrounds, these like more rendered, painted, painterly backgrounds. And uh, so far, I think I've been I've been able to achieve that. And a lot of it is, you know, because I, I'm really fortunate that uh, the publisher at Third World, Mike DeVito, also happens to be a killer colorist, man. I mean, and he's nailing the the look. We talk a lot about it, about like what I'm trying to achieve, and he is a huge part of like why that is looking the way it looks and like how we're getting there, like how we're actually achieving that look. But I guess, you know, the, 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 the amount of planning beforehand and the thought process going into it is this is definitely the longest form thing I've ever done, even though, oh, we forgot all about the Daniel Boom book. We did. I drew four of those. <laughs> it's 400 pages of stuff. That's not, but that's not your creator own stuff. No, it's not creator own. But I did, uh, you know, just as a side note, I did get to work with uh, David uh, Steinberg, who's the uh, the author of the Daniel Boom, aka Loud Boy series of books. I drew four of those, pencil ink color, for Penguin. Um, what a self promoter! I know, I know. It's Young. like it's like a it's like a like you're the subject of this thing or something. <laughs> but uh, like I'm I'm trying to think like we're we're having this discussion, and again, maybe my memory is just so terrible, but. I'm like, yeah, there was wishful thinking, and then there was uh, the basics, and then there's like a three-year black hole. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I was drawing 400 pages of comic material in that time. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> so, And those books, I, mean, I, I wish, you know, it, I wish they would have done more just because it, it really started to get really easy to draw those characters. Like, you know, <laughs> after drawing 400 pages of them, you know, it's like you kind of do it in your sleep, you know. But that gets to... The other thing I wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. it's two things. It's one is is work for hire versus creator own. Yes. And the other is collaboration versus flying solo. Yeah. Collaboration versus working solo. Yes. I talk to you a lot. We mm-hmm. talk on the regular. My interpretation of it is you work better solo. I think I think I have. Uh, you just have more control over what you're doing when you're you're doing everything yeah. yourself, you know. And and that part of it is really satisfying. But you know, there there definitely is something to be said for the collaborative process. And I, you know, and I, I think because of our editorial time, at you know up at up at Marvel, like you you see that process working almost from like a like a third person perspective. You know, you see like, okay, here's a script. Here's what the, the artist does with that script. And then you see like how pieces all come together Mm -hmm. and, you know, and you know how to talk to people in a way where it's like, you know, you know, you try to get the best work out of anybody. So there's, there's a lot more compromise in, in collaborating because, you know, you, you are working with other creative people and they have ideas in their heads that don't necessarily match the ideas in your heads. That's all common sense stuff, but you know, there is like a, a a certain thing that you can achieve, like going back and forth with somebody. Like there's there's like this magical element that happens there, that is you know, is equally as powerful as like you know the the the, the connections you make in your own head on the things that you're working on your own you know on your own projects. Well, this this might be getting too personal. Please You'll don't have to let me know. But in my in my sort of watching, because we have never necessarily collaborated on anything. Not directly, no. Yeah, we've talked about it, but it hasn't happened. Yeah, but I've noticed in your collaboration, it seems like at a certain point there reaches uh, like a like tectonic plates rubbing up against each other to the point where like a, a seismic event happens. Yes, it seems to be. I notice it. I don't know if you have. But it seems to be almost like a like a repeating pattern. You reach points of of impasse and sort of frustration with the with that creative process. Yes. Like the initial spark comes from two people sort of hitting that spark. Yeah. But then whether it's emotion or ego or different philosophies Mm -hmm. on what a thing should be, you get to a point where the collaboration maybe almost ceases to be productive. Oh, dude. I mean, like. Or or the collaboration, the the compromise leans too far in one direction and you feel like you're, you're losing the thing. Yes. Or, or no, I, I, I know what you're saying, and and definitely there there comes a time, I think in any creative, uh, you know, you're, you're, when you're contributing to a creative process with other people who are creative, you're not going to see eye to eye on a lot of stuff, and 
you know, you, you fight and there's no other way around it. Like, you know, you, you feel strongly about something, the other person feels strongly about something and you, you're going to argue about it. Like voices will be raised. Phones will be hung up. I mean, it happens, you know, so I think, I think it's unavoidable is what it is. And, and when you feel strongly about the work you're doing, you know, to, to just kind of like let go of, you know, your creator own material or, or like, you know, let go of things that are important to you, you're not going to get the result you want there anyway. So like you, you kind of have to dig in from time to time, but you know, it's part of the process, you know, you know, like, you know, I, I, you don't get that when you work with yourself just cause like, you know, you can make every excuse in the world to, to well, that's, know? that's the inherent question yeah. though, since you can work on your own. Yes. Fully capable. Maybe stylistically the artwork won't look quite like mm-hmm. what you want it to look like. You could essentially be a guy who finds an artist to work with, just dictate what the thing should look like, art direct it. You could theoretically lay a book out and hand it to somebody and say, finish this. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you want to do that, because I think there's a certain sort of jazzy thrill out of working with somebody. And but on- the, thing, the thing that I, and I've had this conversation a couple times recently, the thing that appeals to me about creator-owned work, and, and just comics in general, is... Freedom. You you're, you can do whatever you want. Like there's there's no rules. And like once once you start like establishing rules, you kind of gotta ask yourself, well, wh- why am I putting rules on this? You know, like that character wouldn't say that. I'm, like, well, I'm pretty sure that character can say whatever I wanted to say. Cause I'm in charge. <laughs> That's it. I mean, like it's it's my decision. It's this is this is the voice that I want this character to have. And the second the second you kind of get away from that and you start like uh, you know worrying too much about it. And you know, I think you need to check yourself and think about like why you're, like why you're painting yourself into this corner when you, you, there, there are no corners. You do whatever you want. You know, the the freedom of being able to do what you want is greater on. But you know, when you collaborate with people and everybody feels that freedom, you know, then obviously, like you know, you can't have two or three different stories happening at the same time. You have to like you know focus and get that done. You know? Yeah. So. It, it it does you do get to points when you when you work on stories like in a collaborative process on create your own things where like you know you you have to give in or you have to force the issue there's no way around it then obviously you enjoy collaborating it's something i mean again we've talked about there's one thing that we haven't worked on at all but it's another awesome title <laughs> and we haven't touched it mainly because the two of us each can do our own thing yeah. from the ground up. So as much as it would be fun to work on it, you're just distracted yes. by paying work and your own sort of thing. But here's the question. If we were to work on this thing, mm-hmm. would we be tectonic plates? I don't think so. I don't disagree. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, look at the Beatles, right? Not not sure. to compare us to the Beatles, but like you know, no, we're pretty much the Beatles. Well, you but you have you have four very creative people, yeah. you know, all working together, and like you know, eventually one of them is going to want to you know kind of take the take the wheel, like ride lead on this thing, and like you know, the other people might necessarily not necessarily want to do that, but I uh, I don't know, I don't feel like that. Like I feel like I I, I do have. Uh, Let me ask you this. Okay. Does a collaboration need a George Martin? Like a third person to yeah. kind of like put the pieces together and like find what works and smooth yeah. things over? Sure. Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Again, I don't know if there's any one answer to this. Like, uh, you know, there, there's merits to, create, to, to to being a single creator and there's merits to working with other people. Um, yeah, I'm not saying you have to choose one or the other. I yeah. just, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring the psychology. Oh. Of of uh, of collaboration and the egos and the things that sort of and, and I think bringing up the Beatles is a perfectly valid metaphor. Oh, oh, in terms of of yeah, creative people sort of locking horns or each yeah. person you know because at a certain point obviously the Beatles broke up. Yes, and then had other collaborations. Mm-hmm. You know, John Lennon worked with Harry Nilsson. Yeah, Paul McCartney started Wings. Pussycat. Yeah, that's the name of the album. Was it? John Lennon produced the the Harry Nelson album. No, but there's one where they work together. Yeah, John Lennon produced it. Okay. It's called Pussycat. All right. Yeah. 
You know, George Harrison was a traveling Wilbury. He sure was. You have had several collaborations, and you worked on Five Star Pileup. Yes. As if ever there was a touchstone. Yeah, we skipped right over that. I talked about it with Jacob a little bit. Uh-huh. Who's, Jacob asked whose idea it was. I think mine or yours? I think it was your idea to do a jam book, and I think it was my idea that we would each write a story for the other. Like, we would not just, like, just write and draw our own thing. We would, we would all, like, kind of pick a name out of a hat and do whatever else. So that might have been just born out of a conversation we had. Like That's possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take no credit for coming up with a jam book. Okay. You can find, you can find that idea on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I mean, fellas. specifically to like to us, like you know that we should all work on something together to get a book together or something. I thought that which was, was you. which was well, it's a thing we tried a couple of times. Yeah, we tried that that uh, the book that was called the Brick Brick. Yes, where you, Chris, and I, Chris Giruso, worked on a comic round robin style. We did that became completely derailed. Although that thing was never going to see print. No. I put some of the pages up. That was fun. It was fun. Because that thing was going out there. Wasn't that the art? That was like the Billy Demon character. That was like the first yeah. time you ever used that character. Yeah. yeah. Did you call him Billy Demon? I don't know. Maybe I think so, yeah. I think you're right. Is that when it got derailed completely? Because uh, you mean. started it. You did the first page. Yes. That thing was ripped out, man. Was, I didn't help. Was, I didn't help matters. <laughs> No, no, it just got weirder and weirder as we went. But that was like the the tone of stuff that we worked on at that time, you know. Like even the were you there for the, like the the serial, like the serial mascot book we all worked on together? No, here's what I remember about that. One, that was your idea. I had already left, and then you reached out to it was General Mills, right, or Kellogg's? Which one? No, you're getting two, there's two different stories there. What? Yeah, me and uh, Jason Liebig contacted General Mills about doing a book with their characters. Yes. Like, like you know, Lucky the Leprechaun, Count Chocula. Like a Secret Wars featuring yeah, all these characters. Yeah, like, like, a, like an Avengers team yeah. with those characters. I came up with several villain characters, which to this day I think are still old water. <laughs> but for uh, Will they show up in Escape Goat? No, no, they're all serial-based. So? There was a guy named, uh, he was like a, like a, like a, Blacker dude. His name was Skip Breakfast. So good. <laughs> and he would encourage kids to not eat breakfast because it's really not the most important meal of the day. Yeah. And there was a a, a character named uh, Sour Cow. Bad milk. Yeah, just bad milk. Shot bad milk at people from like utter guns or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, but there was another thing we did just for fun, like with the bullpen gang, where it was like uh, we we just told a story like round robin style with the characters from Serial. Oh, uh, see, I remember yeah. the bullpen guys did a thing where it was everybody was... Everybody got their own superhero character. Yeah. yeah, we did that too. And that thing was a disaster. That thing was crazy. Yeah, the the, the story, we, we never had a title. But it was fun. It was weird. And I remember specifically yeah. we had a meeting at my apartment. Like, every all the collaborators came together. Yes. And most people were working on their own stories. Me, you, and Chris were, like, kind of half lazy. Didn't want to do 20 full pages. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's what it was? Yeah. Like, yeah, if we each did, th- you know, 10 pages, yeah. we have 30 pages. Yeah, that, that was, was the math. logic. I like that math. I remember uh, Tim talking about this book, saying how he wanted it to be a book that, you know, was for everybody, all ages. And I just finished mm-hmm. that one page. I don't know if you remember, which is the F word was huge. <laughs> it filled up like <laughs> an eighth of the page. <laughs> oh, not a lot of communication on that one. Yeah. Maybe that's why that. <laughs> it's an example of a collaboration where the tectonic plates just never even touched back back to this whole collaboration thing. yeah I, I would like to get like just a clean thought out on this like because i feel like i ramble a little bit you needed more of those diet coke shots i did yeah, i did they were good but even like you know to, to just put a capper on it i guess or or to to clarify things that were said earlier or okay. whatever or even like if you replace what was said earlier with <laughs> what I'm saying right now. It's it's a different it's a different process, but it's a process that I enjoy equally, despite the fact that you have to sometimes 
argue or, or whatever, like despite the fact that there are other people involved, because those other people, you end up with a better something than when you started. Like very rarely, and and any of the collaborations that I've had, whether I'm writing something or whether I'm drawing something, very rarely when you raise a point and then the person has a counterpoint and then you hash it out, very rarely do you not end up with something better than when you started. And, you know, to, to go through that process of talking it out and sometimes arguing, uh, it's worth it in the end because you get something stronger than when you started. Now, of course, there are instances where, like, you know, you, you have to give in, you have to compromise, and then there are instances where the other person has to give in and compromise. But, you know, that's part of the process, part of the, the way things work, in comics especially. Do you think... Yes. If you find a certain measure of success with a scapegoat, mm -hmm. if your name sort of rises on, on its own without having any collaborators... Would that be a thing where almost almost like Justin Timberlake, we start to we you will have like a confidence bump where when somebody approaches you, hey, we like this thing, we'd like you to work on this, mm -hmm. you won't even think about having somebody come along for the ride. Oh, I'm I'm already there. Okay. Yeah, I'm already there. And you know, I'm I'm So you're writing Voltron. Yeah, I'm I'm writing well not just Volt I've I've written, you know, SpongeBob and right, you know my own stuff, and you know I've collaborated on on some other writing, just pure writing, you know, uh, process projects. Me and Mike Rage did a Finding Nemo book together. Um, but again, that's a, I'm talking about. See, that's a collaboration. I'm talking about yeah. you just going. I only say this because I, I'm a fan of your work. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of your collaborative work too. I know what you have. I know what you're able to do. Right. And I sometimes see your collaborations and go, yeah, you could have done that yourself. <laughs> you didn't need to work with any, but on that one. Right. You know, so as you know, I mean, I've pushed a, a few times. I'm like, well, why are you? I know, I know, I know. Why are you but bringing in a third? I, I started as an illustrator and was always kind of like pursuing that and very comfortable in that. But like a huge part of illustration is storytelling. So, like, you are telling your story with your drawing. So you have ideas in your head. And specifically, the kind of illustration that I was interested in or, you know, the stuff I want to pursue is character-based. So it's like you come up with characters. You come up with scenarios for those characters. And I never really, uh, beyond, like, you know, my own um, looking into things as far as, like, writing and, like, you know, dabbling on, on my own projects, I never really build myself as a writer. You know, it's like I, I, I'm a cartoonist. I can come up with gags. I can, uh, you know, write these things down and, uh, you know, they're serviceable for me. But, uh, you know, from a confidence standpoint, I always, I always like kind of felt like I wasn't quite ready to, to tackle just pure writing gigs. Even though, like, I, I, I was confident in the fact that, like, I, I thought I could do it, <laughs> you know, Thinking that and actually getting to do it and getting the opportunity to do it are two different things. So, Stuff of Legend has been great in that sense where I really have gotten a chance to do more um, writing. You know, actually, 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 you know, plot and script stuff as opposed to just like kind of writing something like a plot for myself and then scripting it after the fact. This is like writing for somebody else, you know. And Scapegoat's like the next extension of that. And then, you know, little by little doing more writing work, pure writing work on my own. Like I'm, I'm excited to do that. Like some Chick-fil-A cow comics. Like Exactly. Like the Chick-fil-A cow comics. And now Voltron. <laughs> yes. Now you're going to, you're going to be a huge star. Oh, Smitty. In my eyes, I'm seeing stars. <laughs> we could literally go on for hours. Yeah. I think honestly, no, you're going to fall asleep on me, uh, but um, I'm, I'm thinking we need to, like redo like the the last two hours of this. Why the last hour? Just because I don't think I made much sense. I think you made pretty good sense. Oh, I don't think so. I think you know, like you know how Nirvana they they retaped the unplugged after they oh, performed it once. Well, I didn't know that they did it. All right. I think I, I think you might be wrong. Right. For all I know, you may be right. <laughs> <laughs> Mitty, you're awesome. Thanks for coming by. Well, uh, dude, thanks for having me. Thank you very much because, uh, you know, I hadn't talked to you in 
four or five hours. Yeah, it's been a while. Going <laughs> <laughs> through withdrawals. Hey, I'll talk to you later. All right, dude. have it everything you need to know about brian smitty smith from his first steps in the comic business in part one to right now except not exactly right now so as as i've mentioned in past shows these conversations are recorded before the date they are they are released a considerable amount of time since this recording our pal smitty has found new employment. He, at the beginning of January, joined the editorial staff at DC Comics. Brian Smith is now an associate editor at DC Comics. Not not a huge sort of uh, big announcement type thing, but I found it interesting, aside from the fact that he is my friend and it's interesting that he got a job, uh, just interesting in, to see somebody go from editorial to freelance back to editorial and he and I talk regularly, as has been mentioned. And at some point, we're going to have him back on to talk about his experience in DC's editorial department and whatever else he wants to talk about. The question is, what do you want to talk about? You can leave comments at stuffsaidshow.com. That's the website where I do post when it is applicable bonus materials. So for part one of this conversation with Smitty, there was a bunch of stuff from our days as assistant editors, including some photos of us as young men. For this episode, you're going to see the never-before-seen nine pages of Round Robin comics that I worked on with Brian and Chris Giruso. So check out the website, stuffsaidshow.com. You can send me an email at stuffsaid at gmail.com. You can, and I encourage you to leave a review or click five stars on iTunes for the show. Apparently, that helps spread the word. You can also listen to the show at acmewaveprojector.com, our friends in Greensboro, North Carolina, their podcast network. They have other shows up there, too. And I think that about does it. I went through that last part real quick, huh? That was just, uh, I'm trying to tighten it up for you guys. And now I'm rambling. So, that's about all the stuff I have left to say. We'll see you next time.